0: if you're with us last week, you heard me say that I really relate to Jacob, the heel grabber, the manipulator, the one who tried to bend all circumstances into his control. Well, I'm here to tell you this week I do not relate to Joseph. <laughs> um, I, just as we've studied Joseph as we've talked about Joseph, I've just I've been more and more impressed and more and more convicted. Of who he was and how he managed the circumstances that, that he found himself in, how he uh, continued to live. And so uh, I don't relate to uh, Joseph, but I aspire to be more of a man of God uh, like Joseph was. But if you remember, we, this is, just control your emotions, this is the last Sunday of our Connected on series. Okay. Keep it together. It's okay. Uh, next week's going to be awesome. We're, we're going to we finished Genesis this week. Next week we're kicking off a new series on the Book of Exodus. So we're not moving very far away from Genesis. You can still go visit. Okay, uh, don't worry. But uh, this is the last sermon in our Connect the Dots series, and so I thought it would be worthwhile to kind of go back and in more kind of story form revisit. Everything that we've talked about and everything that, that we've learned through our Connected Dots series. So if you'll bear with me, I'll, I would like for you to hear the story. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We all know that. And we've been reminded throughout this series that when God created, that it was good. God created you. And he created me in His image. That in itself should be staggering for us. That we were created in the image of God. We are are literally his children. And not only were we his children, that would have been been a blessing enough, but then God took it a step further and he made a a covenant with us. He made a relational commitment with us. And in that relational commitment, he told us, he said, I'll give you all of creation to rule and subdue. And our responsibility in that covenant commitment was to uh, be fruitful and multiply. like that's a pretty good deal god did most of the work and we get to reap most of the blessing but unfortunately as we all know through our study we, we realized that we rebelled against god that our ancestors rebelled against god that we didn't trust god's definition of good and evil and so we we had the audacity to decide that we needed to decide what was good and what was evil for ourselves and we tried to tell god what was good and what was evil Unfortunately, that broke the heart of God, our Father. And more than that, it actually broke us. It not only broke us, but it broke all of creation. We are still, to this day, seeing the effects of how sin has ravaged God's creation, His good creation. We're broken and we are confused. So confused that we find ourselves easily manipulated by evil. So manipulated that many of us struggle to love what we should hate, and we actually hate what we should love. Sin has plunged our world into greater and greater depths of evil. But thank God, He had a plan. He had a a redemption plan for all of creation, and that rescue plan is. In place since the beginning that was one of the greatest revelations for me as we studied Genesis is how God's plan to rescue humanity hasn't been working and moving not just since the Gospels but since Genesis so we we read and we studied that God decided to start over and he chose a man he chose a family he chose Noah so God spared Noah and his family from a terrible flood a flood that destroyed the entire world and after the flood God made another covenant another relational commitment with humanity and he, he made a commitment to Noah and he made a commitment to us he said, I will never again destroy the world with the flood and Noah's part was to be fruitful and multiply Again a pretty good deal see the world was recreated and God's redemption plan for mankind came through Noah but Noah was broken just like you and me and Noah rebelled and broke the covenant with God. So God made another commitment to another man, a man named Abraham, the patriarch of our faith. And he told Abraham, he said, I'm choosing you, Abraham, to bless the entire world. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you may be a blessing to others. He said, I'm going to make a commitment with you and with your family. And with that commitment came blessing. It came land. It came a promise of offspring. It became, it became a promise of being set apart by God to reveal to the world who God is.
1: And we talked about how weird it was,
0: right, that God chose Abraham. Remember uh, that Abraham was from just kind of this backwater town. He had no influence. He had no power. He had no money. He had no family. He had no kids. How weird it was that God would choose Abraham. And then we find out that Abraham wasn't perfect, right? He was just like you and me. But what set Abraham apart was he was faithful. He trusted the Lord. Not not at the beginning, obviously, but by the end of his life, he had learned to trust God. To the point that God actually asked Abraham to lay his one and only son Isaac, the, the son of promise, on the altar of sacrifice. To test him. To see if he might obey and thank god that he did obey and because of his obedience he did not have to sacrifice his son and we talked about during that sermon series that that god would never ask humanity to go to such extremes to sacrifice their own son their own children that was an abomination to the lord but we also see that that our god would go to such extremes to save us that he did indeed sacrifice his own son on the cross as a part of his rescue plan for humanity. And then we saw as we moved through the books of Genesis, moved through the patriarchs, that the covenant promise that was given to Abraham was passed along to Isaac, and from Isaac it went to Jacob. Jacob being somebody I really relate with, he was the manipulator, he was the heel grabber. And we talked about how how Jacob struggled with God, how he literally wrestled with God because of the pride of self-sufficiency that he had. I can handle it on my own. I can make it work out. Let me just move a couple pieces around and it will all be okay. And how God literally had to humble Jacob. He had to wound him. But we talked about what Rick Warren said, that God never wastes a hurt. That in wounding Jacob, he created a scenario where God could reach past Jacob's outer layer of sin to who God truly knew Jacob was and pull that out of him and re- reveal to Jacob that he is not the heel grabber. He's Israel. He's one who struggles with God and prevails. And we see that his name was changed. They, that Jacob learned how to trust God. We see how Jacob's persistence paid off. And then we see that Israel, Jacob, had 12 sons who would later become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And we see the covenant promise continually through Jacob, through his children, and that leads us to the end of Genesis. That leads us to the story we're going to talk about today, and it's primarily about the 11th, the 11th son of Israel, the 11th son of Jacob. We're going to be talking about the story of Joseph. Joseph's story, I think, is kind of interesting. Joseph's story takes up a big chunk of Genesis, and it starts in, in chapter 37 of Genesis, and it goes all the way to the end, to chapter 15. And just to tell you a little bit about Joseph, Joseph, what we're looking at where the story starts, Joseph's about 17 years old. And like I said, he's the he's the eleventh son of, of Jacob. And he has eleven brothers and, and they're all shepherds. And we learned pretty quickly that even, even though Jacob was Jacob struggled with unfairness in his family. We really see that through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this sense of favoritism and manipulation of family that, that Jacob didn't learn from from his mistakes and from the pain of, of, of living that way because we find out pretty quickly that Joseph is the favorite son, you could say the beloved son of his father, Jacob. In fact, I don't, I don't recommend this, okay? Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean you should do it. And Joseph was so beloved by his dad that his dad decided to have a special coat made that Joseph could wear and then everybody would know, oh yeah, see that guy with that really cool coat? That, that's, uh, that's Jacob's favorite son. I don't recommend that, okay? Don't, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Uh, and, and to make matters worse, Joseph was a dreamer. He had dreams and God communicated to Joseph through dreams. In fact, one time, actually twice, Joseph had dreams that communicated to him that one day his entire family would bow down to him. Sweet, right? If only we could have that dream. But here's here's where Joseph messed up. He goes, you know what? You know who really needs to know about this dream? My family. I need to tell them so they know, so they're not surprised when that scenario comes up. So he's like, hey, family, you know, maybe it's at Thanksgiving. You know, that's a great time to to give some 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 uh, contradictory information to your family. Maybe some maybe it's a little bit offensive right there at the dinner table. You know, the turkey, and everything's out there. So I could just see Joseph like raising He's like, hey, I got a story for you guys. I had a dream and all of y'all bowed down to me. High five, right? <laughs> I mean, you can imagine the awkwardness of that that, that would have created it and it was it really uh, got Jacob, or excuse me, got Joseph into some trouble It created some, some tension, uh, not surprisingly, with his brothers. And, and we see that coming up. It created some jealousy. Uh, and essentially what happened is Joseph's older brothers were out tending the flock. And Jacob calls his 11th son over and says, hey, I want you to go find uh, your other 11 brothers. And I want you to check on them. They're kind of far away uh, from the homestead. I just want to see how they are. So Joseph, being faithful, jumps on you know, uh, his camel and he starts looking for his brothers. And, and from far off, <coughs> Joseph's brothers see him coming. And they're like, Ooh, here comes our brother. Do you remember what he said at Thanksgiving about us bowing down to him? Oh, man, I couldn't even eat my turkey and dressing. I was so upset. Right? That's pretty upset. If you're unwilling to eat turkey dressing, that's pretty bad. So they're like, Hey, let's get this. I got a plan. Let's kill him. Right? Let's kill him, and then we're going to take his, his clothes, and we're going to kind of dip him in blood, and we're going to take that, that fancy coat that our dad gave him, and we'll go to our dad and say, Hey, there was nothing we could do. He was coming along. Bam. Lion jumped out, got him. Nothing we could do. So sorry. He's dead. Okay, solid plan. But thankfully, Joseph's older brother, Ruben, kind of talks about it. Like, hey guys, we can't kill our brother. That's, that's, that's going to make the next Thanksgiving way worse. Right? So, um, so they, he, talk, he talks his brothers out of killing him, but while Reuben's not around, they come up with a plan B. They're like, okay, we can't kill him. Reuben said we can't kill him, but here comes some slave traders. Let's sell our brother into slavery. So that's what they do. They sell their brother into slavery. And we find Joseph there. He is now sold to a man named Potiphar from, from the land of Egypt. He's a slave. I want you to take a moment here, and I want want you to try to place yourself in in Joseph's shoes, okay? Many times we struggle to really connect with Scripture because we know the ending. We know what's going to happen, but I, I want you to ignore what you know for just a moment, and I want you to place yourself in Joseph's shoes, and I just want you to kind of imagine what might be going through his head. I've been completely betrayed by the people that I thought loved me. And now I'm a slave. You've got to imagine that that's what's going through his head. This is my life. I will be a slave. I will be controlled. I will be told what to do for the rest of my life because of what my brothers decided to do. I will die a slave. And keeping that in mind, I, I want to ask you a couple hypothetical questions. If you were in Joseph's shoes, if you were in that... That cage or if you had that rope around your neck and you're being pulled behind a caravan knowing what had happened, how would you react? How would you choose to live? If this was the life before you, if this was your fate, how would you respond? This is where I can admire Joseph, but I, I cannot relate. I, I'm just so uh, amazed. That Joseph does not let these circumstances jade him or embitter him or make him evil. Instead, we find that Joseph remains faithful. even Not just faithful to the Lord, but faithful as a slave. Because we know that Joseph was so faithful that Potiphar, his, his slave master, actually elevates Joseph to the point that he's in charge of his entire household. And things are going well, so you think Joseph's like, oh man, my my brother's betrayed me, but I'm in slavery, but now I'm in charge of this whole household. Potiphar's really important, and it's at this point uh, that Joseph's muscles get him in trouble. Before it was kind of his pride, now it's his muscles, because Potiphar's wife is like, dang, who is this, right? Potiphar's wife notices how attractive Joseph is and begins to pursue him and try to seduce him. But again... Joseph is faithful. Imagine how hard that would be. You've been betrayed by everybody. And here's a chance just for just a little bit of rebellion. Just a little bit of focusing on my own needs. But Joseph remains faithful. So faithful that Potiphar's wife becomes angry. Angry enough to go to her husband Potiphar and create a lie. And she tells her husband that Joseph tried to rape her. You can imagine that did not go well. Potiphar's house. In fact, in a fit of rage, Potiphar had Joseph thrown into prison. But let, me, let me give you a little side note that, that's just, that I find amazing. Prison for Joseph was an act of grace by God. Let me tell you one. Egypt was one of the very few places in the, in, the, in the ancient Near East that actually had a prison system. Most Nations uh, it, for, for any type of wrongdoing, there were three forms of punishment: uh, either death, bodily mutilation, or you paid a fine. And actually, in Egypt, the act of adultery was a, was punishable by death. But Potiphar chose to put Joseph in prison. So that was it. number one. It was a grace. On God's part, but I think it also gives us a little inclination that Potiphar may have had a hunch that his wife was lying. But let's get back to the story. So Joseph finds himself in prison, wrongly committed, wrongly accused of rape. And let, let me blow your mind with this text. Genesis thirty-nine twenty-one. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Whew. Sold into slavery by his brothers elevated to second command of entire household falsely accused of rape thrown into prison and the lord was with joseph and showed him steadfast love just let that sink in for a minute i mean would you be able to say the same thing would you be able to see the same thing i mean how often do we have a bad day or a bad week and we're like lord where are you you know we pull into the United Park lot and we have, there's that sweet spot like right in our, in, our, in our vision and somebody cuts in right in front of us and we're like, Lord, the weight is too much upon me, right? I can't take it anymore. Think about that. He's in prison and it's described that the Lord is with him and is showing him steadfast love. <clears throat> See, Joseph is in prison, wrongly accused of a crime he didn't commit. He's been sold into slavery by his brothers, but the text says that the Lord showed him steadfast love. So what you think about it, when I start talking about wrongdoing or uh, being uh, wronged or, or violated or mistreated, can you see God's steadfast love in that situation the way Joseph can see God's steadfast love in this situation? Because again, we see that Joseph is faithful. Again, not just to the Lord, but faithful within his circumstances. It, it, it talks about here, even in the difficulty of the situation, he was so faithful that the prison warden elevated him to a position where he's taking care of all the other prisoners. So he's, he's not faithful just to the Lord, he's faithful within the circumstances he finds himself in. And while he's in, in charge, there are two new prisoners that are, that are introduced in the prison. There's the baker and the cupbearer, and they're prisoners of Pharaoh. Uh, most likely what has gone on has been some kind of uh, attempt, a coup, an overthrow, and the Pharaoh's trying to figure out who's guilty. And so the baker and the cupbearer are into prison. And again, Joseph, remember, he's an, he, he's an interpreter of dreams, and both the cupbearer and the baker, they have dreams that they can't figure out. So they go to Joseph, and they're like, hey, what do these dreams mean? And, of course, Joseph, to the empowerment of the Lord, he interprets his dream, and he tells the cupbearer, hey, you're getting out, man. You're going to be restored to the Pharaoh's court. And you can imagine, the is like, yes! And the baker's like, oh man, that might be good for me too. But he looks to the the baker and he says, and you're going to get killed. You're getting out, you're getting killed. Right? Can you imagine delivering that? news. The guys are already in prison. And in fact, that's exactly what happens. The cupbearer gets restored and the baker uh, is killed. And so Joseph kind of grabs the cupbearer by the arm as he's leaving the prison. He says, hey, man, will you mention me to the Pharaoh? Maybe I can get out. You know, Maybe, maybe I can help out around, around the palace or something. Does the cupbearer remember Joseph? No. no. He doesn't. For two entire years, Joseph is forgotten. He's just left in prison. That is until the Pharaoh has a dream that none of his wise counsel can interpret. And nobody can interpret the dream. Nobody can explain what it means. And it's at that point, finally, the cupbearer is like, oh, yeah. There's this guy I know. He's really good at interpreting dreams. I was supposed to tell you about it a couple years ago, but I forgot about that. He's actually in the prison. So we can go ahead and go get him, he'll come interpret the dream for you. So Joseph is pulled out of prison. He's cleaned up. He's brought before Pharaoh. And uh, he interprets the dream for Pharaoh. And this is essentially what the dream means. Uh, He tells the Pharaoh, that in the Middle East there's going to be seven years of incredible prosperity, followed by seven years of terrible drought. So the Pharaoh is so impressed that he looks to Joseph and he says, What should we do? And Joseph said, Well, what we should do is we should save up all the food that we can for the first seven years so that we will survive the last seven years. So the Pharaoh is so impressed that he actually puts Joseph in charge of the entire operation, the entire project. And so after seven good years, the drought begins. And it doesn't just affect Egypt. I want you to get this in your mind. This this isn't an Egypt problem. This is an entire nation upon nation upon nation problem. All the nations around Egypt are affected by this drought. And Jacob and his family, they're affected. And they hear that there's grain in Egypt. So so Jacob sends his ten sons, sends ten of his sons to Egypt to get grain. And that's when Joseph... Who is now second in command of all of Egypt. Finds ten of his brothers at his feet. Now they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them. Think about that. How would you react? Ten people who have attempted to destroy your life who were the reason that you were sold into slavery, who the reason that you were falsely accused and put into prison, are now kneeling before you. And you have all the power. You have all the opportunity. You can do whatever you want. Joseph, whatever Joseph wanted to do would have been unquestioned and would have been accepted. What would you have done? To somebody who put you in circumstances like what Joseph went through. Again, we find Joseph faithful. After testing his brothers and kind of seeing if they had learned from, from the mistake that they had made, uh, he actually shares this with them in Genesis 45, 5-8. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his house and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Amen, amen, and amen. What an eternal perspective on life circumstances. Joseph had trained himself to have the kind of faith that he could look past what is happening now and consider what God might be doing in the future. So much so that he refused to pour out revenge upon his brothers because he had the perspective to see that it was the Lord who orchestrated those circumstances so that he might be a father to Pharaoh and not just save Egypt, but Canaan and all of the nations that surround Egypt Save his very own family. Man. To be able to remain faithful like that. To be able to trust the Lord in circumstances like that. So what we find is because of Joseph's grace and compassion, Joseph brings his father and all 11 his brothers and they come and they settle in Egypt. Just in case you thought maybe this was a bait and switch, Joseph was going to kind of get everybody there and then be like off with their heads. Uh, in case you thought that, uh, we see in the very last chapter of Genesis, in Genesis uh, chapter fifty, verse twenty, it says again: Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people, as He is doing today. I mean, to me, that is amazing. Is really almost overwhelming uh, to be able to stand here at the, at the end of the book of Genesis and look at a verse like this that, has, that has, is wrapped up in so much pain and disappointment and frustration and accusation and see that God was moving throughout the entire story to preserve life. But I think if you've been paying attention, you'll realize that that's what God has been doing throughout the entire book of Genesis. There's so much pain, disappointment, and loss of life, and, and confusion that throughout the whole thing, there's a thread of restoration and rescue on God's behalf for his people. I hope we've connected that dot for you. That no matter what is going on, God's redemption plan will not be dismayed, it will not be slowed down, and it will not be changed. That doesn't mean that we can't see the brokenness, right? We can't see the pain. We can't see the frustration. You know, we, we can't see when our family wounds us, or when circumstances make us angry, or we see things that are unfair. Life is unfair. But I think if we took, if we had the opportunity to actually sit down with our ancestor Joseph, sit down at the table with Joseph, and, and share with him our hurt and our frustration, share with them our pain and our disappointment. I think our ancestor Joseph would hear those things and he would really relate to those things. He would understand because he's been through similar pain and disappointment. And I think after listening to us, he would take the opportunity to, to scoot his chair a little closer to the table and lean in close and put his hand on our shoulder. And I think he would say, have faith. God can work all things for good. Don't get distracted by the pain. Don't get distracted by the disappointment. Have faith in the God of your ancestors who has always been faithful to you. I think when I show those words, I think about... Corey Tinburn. the famous uh, survivor of the Holocaust. She described faith this way: that when a train enters a tunnel, we don't lose faith that the sun is gone forever. We believe that the sun is still there, though we cannot see it. And we know that at some point, the train will exit the tunnel, and our faith. Will be affirmed. So I want to challenge you today to consider your faith, consider uh, the circumstances that you find yourself in. I have a few uh, next steps that I want to ask you to consider as we look at look at Joseph's life and as we finish up the book of Genesis. I want to ask you maybe maybe for you, your next step is submitting to God. Joseph was obviously submitted to God no matter the circumstances. David, you need to do that. Maybe you need to consider, are you being faithful like Joseph was faithful? Are you trusting God to move and work even though the circumstances may seem dark? Here's a good one. Is there somebody in your family that you need to forgive? Don't know that anybody in here has been sold into slavery by their family. Joseph was able to, through the Lord's help, offer forgiveness. somebody that you need to forgive in your family. This last one We didn't have time to talk about this very much But God told Israel That he was going to bless Israel To be a blessing Maybe you need to consider What God has blessed you with And God expects you to bless somebody else with See we've all been blessed With forgiveness I think God expects us to bless others With forgiveness as well